Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sign Guy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday. Sign Guy with you as normal. My co-host, the good son, Andrew Michelson, feeling under the weather today, so he has the day off to get well. Real fast, before we jump into things with our guests, some show notes if you are looking for some professional wrestling tonight wcwo in the outlaw arena in indianapolis indiana tomorrow emerge wrestling happening in columbus indiana wrestle club in caldwell idaho icw in coring arkansas generation next wrestling in cynthia kentucky mswa in rockwood tennessee and doa pro wrestling happening in portland Oregon. So right now I want to welcome our guest to the program. We are kicking off Children of Sports Entertainers Month, and we have a fantastic first guest for you. Travis Orndorff, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. Gentlemen, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a little disappointed you didn't say wonderful, though. I can see the disappointment. You are definitely a most wonderful guest. There we go. Now I feel better. Well, normally we ask our first-time guest how you got into the business, but a little twist on this since, of course, it was your father that was in the business. When did you first take notice of what your father did for a living as a professional wrestler? Honestly, I don't think there ever was a time that I wasn't aware. Um, I actually, you had, I had seen, you know, kind of a quick snapshot of some of the questions you might ask, and I, and I started to go back in my mind. And, you know, from the time I was young, um, he was he was on the precipice of, of, of that notoriety and fame. And he was larger than life, even as a child. It wasn't hard to figure out your daddy was bigger than everybody else's. Um, so we, we lived in uh, about six states before we settled down in Georgia. And uh, from the time that I kind of have, you know, consciousness as a child, you know, we were, dad was gone and, you know, people would find out what he did and, 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 and it would be brought up. So because of the nature of, of human beings and and, and the, the, the level of notoriety that they were getting, you know, the WWF was getting at that time, I really don't recall not, uh, not knowing that was what he did for a living. And, and the other flip side of this, and I've said this a few times, but many of the wrestlers had different personas, different gimmicks, different names. My dad kept his last name, and so when, when I was out in society, <clears throat> whether as a, a kid or, you know, going to a restaurant, um, Orndorff was, was kind of hard to miss. So it was it was very quickly and very early that people would hear that last name and you could see their mind start to start to turn and, and, and eventually the question would become, you know, are you related to? Because um, other than later in life, I didn't know a single Orndorff outside of my immediate family. Now, you say you go back as far as you can remember with your dad being a wrestler. What was it like for you having a dad that was a well-known professional wrestler? It's hard to explain, and the reason being is for us, it, it it was part of who we were. And not to dismiss it, but if your dad was a car salesman, um, you know, that's what you know. 
And so him being a wrestler, that's all I ever knew. And, you know, you get questions and, 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 and people, people want to know, um, you know, what, what it's like. And the, the thing that I would share is there was not a lot of privacy. You know, when we went to a restaurant, inevitably we would end up in a, there an extra 30 minutes so my dad could sign autographs. And, you know, other than adults, you know, young kids, you know, I played, you know, I played baseball and soccer and, and different sports. And the parents were more aware of it than I think much of the kids were because I was, so when he started at WWF, I would have been six years old. Um, and I don't think it was really relevant to kids around me um, in, my, in the county we grew up in in the school I went to. So dad had me go to um, private school for, for that very reason to, to an extent. He also wanted me to have a, you know, a great uh, education. And so I was in a very diverse Montessori school, which you, you can imagine many of the the children, that wrestling wasn't the, the number one thing on their minds. And then when I left there and went to a, another private school, uh, I would say by fourth or fifth grade, it became uh, more apparent that my group of friends um, were, were, were getting into wrestling. But all of them had met my dad because he would be at home or he would come to my different games. So it was in, in many ways kind of subdued. It was actually worse when we were uh, out traveling, and, and especially when you know, I traveled with him and we were in New York. We couldn't go anywhere and do anything without, without um, you know, a following. But if we, if we were just in the city of Fayetteville where I grew up in Fayette County, um, people had come to know him. It was kind of a small town. Um, you know, I went to a small private school. Um, once people met him and, and he was, he was so lovable and, and kind and, you know, it, it, the, the fame was there, but it, it was also, uh, you know, some of the lust of that goes away when you just see him as a normal guy that spends time with his kids and, you know, plays, you know, throws the baseball with me in the yard. I touched on how people would flock to him in New York and places like that, but your dad was a main event performer for the World Wrestling Federation during the first WrestleMania and stayed pretty high up in the card through the end of that first run. And then, of course, going to WCW, he was still on national television regularly for many years. Obviously, there's a lot of celebrity involved in that, and people know him. He's on MTV. He's on USA Network, TBS, all these national cable channels. It was in the heart of the wrestling boom period with Hulkamania. What was the celebrity like as far as, your experiences was it tough being the son of a celebrity and having all these people want to meet your dad and get autographs and pictures and so forth everywhere you went did you get used to it or was it something that you just accepted or was it hard for you well i didn't know any different you know again it it was just part of my life i think you know, maybe a better way to answer it, it from both sides. My brother is actually 10 years older than me and was in high school. You know, he was 16 when uh, Dad, you know, WrestleMania won. And so we had gone, all of us, to the Omni in Atlanta to watch it. He brought a bunch of his friends. And many of his friends, you know, looked out for me throughout the years. For him, I think it was much more difficult than it was for me he went to a public school. He was older. His friends were into wrestling. Um, so, you know, I would say as a child, I, and I've mentioned this many times uh, in, in the past, that as a child, I 
didn't like the fans. Um, because, you know, again, we're, we're, when you're in a restaurant and, and you just want to spend time with your father with understanding he travels all the time, you, you're, you get a little jealous that everywhere you go you're getting pulled and, you know, it's an extra 30 minutes because he's sitting around signing autographs and, you know, we go to church and, you know, you don't get much privacy. Um, it, 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 it was so much ingrained in part of who I was. And I, I you know, in the, I, I did a podcast recently that, you know, one of the struggles I had growing up was that I kind of created, you know, unintentionally, subconsciously two personas. Uh, there was Travis, who, you know, he 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 was expected to live up to what his father had done, and to try. You know, you can imagine how many adults and teenagers would say, "Are you going to be a wrestler when you grow up?" Or, "I'm I, you know, I'm a huge fan of your father." So he constantly was getting attention and accolades, and that's a lot of pressure for a kid to try to live up to. Um, the, 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 the thing that I was able to do, and this was part of kayfabe, because you have to know that kayfabe was part of my life too. You know, we, there were things, you know, that people would ask, and, you know, whether it was fake, whether it was a real, um, I was taught what to say in those situations. And, and at the end of the day, I was taught to lie about it. And so there was two personas. There was Travis who I, I feel, looking back, was had a lot of insecurities, um, was, you know, felt less than in a lot of cases, um, uh, became a performer in my own right um, in acting and stuff. So I had some of an outlet, but it, it's a lot of pressure on a child to live up to whatever expectation people had. And so Mr. Wonderful Son could agree with all the accolades, act like everything was perfect, act like I had this perfect life, act like, you know, the celebrity wasn't a big deal. But the truth was there was a kid that missed his dad, didn't see him a lot, um, you know, uh, was constantly having to share him in the minimal time he had, um, was, was having to make believe that um, everything in life was 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 beautiful and flowers and rainbows and unicorns and that wasn't the case my brother got in a lot of trouble when i was a kid so you know we kept that out of the limelight um and 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 you know in the county i lived in everybody knew so i was kind of competing with the fact that i had an older brother that you know was making a lot of mistakes and they were public because of his of my dad's celebrity and then at the same time dealing with um my own dad's celebrity so you know, people people look at you and have and speak to expectations that, you know, my dad had a one-of-a-kind body in a period that nobody looked like that. And so I knew that. It was obvious to me. Other than bodybuilders, there were very few people that had the same, you know, um, physique as he did. And so when you're a kid and you're trying to somehow – um, forge your own path or, you know, even being in athletics. You know, my dad was a phenomenal athlete. Uh, it, it was really hard to accept, you know, that I, that wasn't necessarily my gift and, and I didn't inherit some of dad's athleticism and I didn't have, you know, I'm five foot eight, 170. And, and, you know, when I graduated from high school, I was, you know, 135 pounds. That, you know, you, it became a joke, but it, you know, looking back, it was, it wasn't funny. But I mean, at an early age, I remember, and it sounds stupid, but it really was. I remember asking because I just wasn't growing as fast. It was like I somehow adopted, and people would say that to me, like, "Are you adopted?" I had black hair, you know. I, you know, even though I was a child, they expected somehow for me to be muscular and in the gym every day, which is, you know, outrageous, but. The this persona that I that I created allowed me to perform, go into a room, and and in many ways look for approval, because the expectation was there that I had to be something that that I wasn't capable of being. 
Now, in your father's profession, traveling is a necessity, and especially when he was on top with the WWF, the travel schedule was absolutely brutal, even when he would be with WCW in the 90s when the schedule was much lighter, there was still a lot of travel involved in it. Uh, if you're in the business, it's an accepted part of it, and you get used to it, and you learn how to travel and what to do, where to go. But as a child, when you would travel to shows with your dad, did you find yourself enjoying the actual travel part of it, or was that something that you did not like to do? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, from the time that I was young, I would travel, and, and we posted pictures of me on an airplane with him, you know, and it was just me, not my mom, not my brother. It was just me. So there were times where I would get out of school, and, you know, obviously this is back in the 80s, so it was a lot more lenient than it is today, but I would leave for a week or two at a time, you know, going to New York, um, I know one summer we spent a month in Australia. Um, during the summers uh, in my, you know, my mid to late teens, they would film at MGM Studios down in Orlando. So we would have a cabana at Disney World and had access to all the parks for six to eight weeks in a row. And, and, and so there was, because when I was with my dad, on the road, and, and more often than not, we were going to a gym, to dinner, and, and to the, the dressing room, we had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. And by the time I was, I believe I was nine years old, when I got uh, deathly ill, and, and they actually, they hospitalized me, the, I had lost, you know, I had gotten my black belt karate and, you know, junior black belt, and, and started to have these severe health conditions, lost 30 pounds. Um, they thought I was going to die. They didn't know what was going on. And that was about the point that Dad left the WWF. So from 1987-ish, 88, till, you know, 1990, we had a bowling center. So at, from like 9 to 10 years old to 13 years old, he was around a ton. And, you know, at that point when he went to UWF for a short period in Smoky Mountain, I did travel with him out to California or to Tennessee. We would go to different shows. And if it was a show that was within driving distance, he would drive, and I would just ride with him on those trips. So it wasn't, you know, as I got older, I actually did get to spend a lot of time with him because WCW was in Atlanta, and it was filmed so much in Atlanta and, and, and downtown at the Civic Center and up in Gainesville and, um, the, you know, the, I believe even in Cobb County, there were so many places that were local that I would go to them with them. And it's not like we were bombarded when I went on the road with them because we would be alone in the car or many times on a bus or on an airplane. And, and when we got to the show, we were back in the dressing room and him and I would spend, you know, hours upon hours together because, that's what you did when you were getting there and when dad would go off to do, a, you know, either a wrestling match or, or, you know, cut a promo, you know, there was one of the wrestlers that was looking out for me or, you know, kind of babysitting me in the dressing room. And I can remember at one point in time on multiple occasions, um, you know, he had this gold cross that he used to wear and he had a, a president uh, gold Rolex and I would wear them while he, while he was out doing what he was doing because, in his mind, obviously, he didn't trust anybody in the dressing room, and I don't know that much has changed around that, but, um, you know, I would have them on, and somebody was watching me, and he felt it was safer on me than it was in his bag. I mentioned that it was like the gym, the locker room, the airport. Did your dad ever take you to see any of the actual tourist type of destinations? Did you go to, like, museums or historical sites or amusement parks on the trips where was it more or less he had to get to the venue to wrestle? So that's why you stuck to one of the trips. 
that just wasn't that scene, first of all. That wasn't going to take me to, to the Smithsonian or the Statue of Liberty. Um, there was a time crunch. He was working most of the time anyway. Um, so unless you count a holiday in, uh, then no, that never, ever happened, not a single time. Now, when we went to Sydney and we were there for several weeks, we did tour Sydney and, and Melbourne, and that was very unique because he had time off while we were there, and so we would go on a, on a day off or two days off, and we would go and, and do some exploring. And I think I was 13 at the time. But by the time I was older, you know, he was tired. He didn't want to go out and do anything else. You know, when we were at Disney World, I was 17, 18 years old. Honestly, I didn't want to go around there with my dad. I have uh, three younger nieces um, that my parents raised. So, you know, a lot of times I refer to them as my sisters because, you know, I grew up with them basically as my sisters. And so I would take them out and, and, and tour the different places when, when we did travel with them as, a, as a, an entire family. But, no, not at all. We, we didn't, you know, other than, other than the different civic centers and, you know, the, and, 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 uh, and um, stadiums and different things that they wrestled in, that was the extent of it. And we, we would go back to a hotel get sleep, you know, get the wake-up call, get up in the morning, hit the gym, and we were back on the road. Obviously, like we said, your dad was in that time frame where pretty much all the wrestlers were national celebrities and very well-known. You had a different perspective, of course, being on the road with your dad, and this was more of a business type of situation. But who were some of the people that you met in the wrestling business that were your favorite people to have met? So Bobby Heenan would be my favorite. Um, We spent a lot of time together throughout the years because he obviously went over to WCW. And when I did show up, even from a young age, he was always willing to either, one, he was ribbing me, um, or he was, um, you know, at least giving me the time and attention and talking to me and having conversations. He had kids of his own, and, and a lot of the guys, you know, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but a lot of the guys had, you know, daughters, so they weren't on the road with him. Um, so I did get a lot of quality time with Bobby, and I got to spend a lot of time with him even up until 2004 or, or Five, I can't remember which year it was. Dad was in the WD Hall, WWE Hall of Fame. So during WrestleMania, him and I were in back the entire time just telling story after story, you know, mostly me listening and laughing. Um, so Bobby was, was one of my favorites. Um, you know, I spent some quality time with Junkyard Dog, both, in, um, both at WWF and at WCW. Um, you know, the guys that came over that Dad would go hunting with, you know, Steve Austin was always, um, you know, he was kind of like Bobby. He was always kind of, you know, jabbing me and playing around, you know, and he would call the house. And, and you know, I remember a story when I had gotten my first vehicle with like a, you know, an older pickup truck, and, and it was a Nissan hard body, and he called and said he heard about the truck and basically called it a toy truck, and he was going to throw it in the back of his real truck and take it down to the toy park. And, you know, so... So there was the guys that interacted and ribbed and, and were very, um, you know, treated me like I was a human being. Uh, Tito Santana, I know we went spent some time with him, but I was really, really young. Um, and uh, so it was more often than not, you know, Brian Blair was a friend. Dad called him Beeper. So, you know, when he would call the house, you know, Brian would take the time and ask how I was doing, see what was going on. Brian was there the, the day I was born and saw me in the hospital with this, you know, big old head of hair, and Dad was asking this, you know, which one of the babies was his. And so, and then, you know, later in life when we went to the Cauliflower Alley Club, you know, I'm I'm at that point I'm like 35 years old. So some of the stories that were, you know, too hot for television were now now, uh, being shared, and I got to laugh at those and, get a better understanding of what the road was like when I wasn't around. Because obviously when I was around, you know, dad spent his entire time with me. And when I wasn't around, he was with the boys. So, so 
there was two different worlds to it. And, you know, at a young age, Dad was very, very adamant that I was not going to go into wrestling in any capacity. And, in fact, when we were at the Hall of Fame, I had met a couple people that were open to me coming on, you know, possibly coming on board. And Dad shut that down very, very quickly. He wanted me nowhere near it. And, obviously, with the things that have come to light in the last, Honestly, it's been happening for 30 years, whether it be the steroids or, you know, some of the child and, you know, uh, sex abuse and now, you know, Vince's behavior. Uh, it was, it's more odd. So I knew some of that. Uh, you know, I didn't get gory details, but I remember dad saying, stay away from that person, even when I was in my early 20s when we were at the Hall of Fame. You know, so. I, you know, later on, Dad would explain, you know, some of the things that happened and, and give me some of the detail without going into too much. But it, it is, you know, for, with everything that's come to light with Vince in the last few weeks, you know, it's clear that my dad was a, a very wise man not wanting me anywhere near it. Al, in the era that you uh probably associate with the most, there was a ton of merchandise available and they marketed T-shirts, action figures, uh, video games, all types of things. Uh, When your dad was at his peak of fame and peak performance and then going, of course, into the uh, 90s boom period, uh, he was more of the front office, so there wasn't as much. But there was still a lot of Paul Orndorff merchandise out there. What was some of your favorite pieces of merchandise that got produced for your father? Ironically, I owned none of it. Not a th- like Dad would bring it home, and it's your dad, you know? I remember one Christmas, <clears throat> I did get you know, because I, I think they gave it to us, I'm sure. I did get the wrestling link ring with a bunch of the wrestlers, but I don't recall a period of time that I ever played with them. And so I remember having some of the keychains and some of the pins. It was only, ironically, uh, it was only after he passed that I started collecting it and, and going back and getting some of the things. So I bought his, you know, his Mr. Wonderful Stretch doll and, um, the the original LGN doll from WWF, I kept that one and still have it to this day, but that's the only thing of dad's that I didn't go out and buy either on eBay or, or in another place or somebody, you know, was kind enough to send it to me. Um, I thought nothing of it. I, I wasn't a wrestling fan. I was into Star Wars and baseball cards and you know, I like the New York Mets, and I remember I got a, a, a autographed baseball from Gary Carter. I still have to this day, and you know those those things weren't they just weren't part of my life. It was a business. There was there I I met these guys, and and not to be crude, but I met them in a dressing room. I didn't see them in tights. I saw them get out of the shower. It wasn't a pretty sight at all, and and. You know, so I idolized my dad because he was my dad, not because he was a wrestler. Um, the, the only time I ever remember, and, and this is just something that happened a little bit later, my youngest son Tyler, or my oldest son Tyler, excuse me, when he was, you know, when he was a kid, uh, a friend and I were going to play golf, and my wife was get my my ex-wife now was giving him a bath, and he, t- Tyler, my son, had his his grandfather's you know, wrestling figure, and he was, he picked him up, and he's like, Papa, and he, you know, he, he plunged him into the water, and my friend Mike was like, that's hilarious, just thinking about that your son is playing with your dad's doll, you know, how funny is that, and I don't think anything of it, because again, I, did, I don't have that perspective sometimes, it, it usually takes a situation like that, where my friend Mike, you know, laughing about it, that I go, oh yeah, that is kind of ironic, right, um, but, yeah, I, I knew those guys. I had met Hulk Hogan. I had met Andre the Giant. I had met um, Big John Studd. And I, I had shaken their hand and been around them. But nothing – I never even watched the matches. I was, you know, I was, in, you know, six to ten years old. And, and Dad never 
it wasn't like encouraged I watched the matches. The only matches I ever watched were when we were in a dressing room and, and they would watch some of the matches on the TV and they would give each other feedback. And I would listen to them, you know, talk about different spots when they were prepping for a match because back then they weren't scripted, it, you know, or at least the way I understand it is today, I don't, I don't really consume the product now. Um, but, you know, a lot of that was, was talked about, you know, before, and then some of it was done on the fly depending on what was going on. But my entire world around wrestling was it was a business, and that's what Dad did for a living. And I never watched a match hoping somebody was going to win. I more watched a match to see if they missed a spot because that's all I would hear from the boys in the back. I remember when I got older, somebody asked me to watch a match, and I remember it came out, and it wasn't something, because I'm by no means some kind of aficionado. I remember looking at the TV, and I said, oh, he missed the spot. The camera's over there. And I was like, oh, my God, where did that come from? How did I, like, it had been, you know, ingrained in my brain, because I heard it over and over and over again whenever I did watch it, that that was my first thought. It wasn't anything other than that. And you know, the the few matches I did watch were ones I really enjoyed. And, you know, I happened to be home. It, you know, I remember one of them, it's still one of my favorite matches was, because I've watched more, excuse me, I watched more later in life, you know, sharing it with my kids than I ever did watching it on my own. You know, showing them, you know, going on YouTube and showing them all the promos, you know, and, and introducing them to their football because um, they knew he was a wrestler, but they didn't really get to see him do it. And so as they got older, I started to share that with them. And that's when I started to watch it. But I can remember a match, um, and again, it's one, it one of my favorite matches, was with Arn Anderson, Anderson at WCW in the mid-early 90s. And they were just great technical wrestlers. And it was one of, it, it, it may have been the only time that watching wrestling I felt like a fan because I didn't know the outcome, and I was waiting for the out. You know, I was, I was, uh, you know, kind of waiting for the outcome, and you know, I felt myself get jittery, and I was like, you know, I'm a huge Miami Hurricanes football fan, so that's something I used to get physically ill over before a game, getting so excited. That may have been the only time in real time that I watched a match, and I was getting excited about you know, watching the match and, 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 and seeing the eventual outcome. One of the things that wrestlers made a lot of their money on, especially in the WrestleMania period going forward, was royalties. Uh, they would get royalties off any uh, merchandise they had, T-shirts, action figures, all that. Of course... Years later, everybody got paid royalties on any videos that were made for them uh, or if they appeared on a video. How did royalties work as far as uh, when your dad retired and was he still getting uh, royalty checks? And do the royalties carry over to the family uh, once the wrestler has passed away, or do they stop once the person's passed? So it depends on the contract that you have with WWE. And the dad did sign a Legends deal um, at one point in time. I don't know the particulars of it. You know, I know dad. <clears throat> I know dad did receive royalties throughout the years um, when he was was still you know, from different, from different things, um, in WCW a little bit here and there, and then obviously from WWE, but, um, I don't have the exact timing of this. I can tell you that, um, WWE was very good at, you know, trademarking certain individual names. And when dad passed, I reached out to ask if he still had a legends deal and they had decided not to not to renew it. Now I know um, from some friends that I have that are still in the business that their father has passed, and they still have the Legends deal, and those families still get the royalties from those proceeds. But um, when Dad joined that 
CTE lawsuit with um, several other wrestlers, it's my personal opinion that that was um, that was not thought highly of, obviously. And Vince being Vince, um, you know, uh, from what I have seen from some of the recent retro uh, gear that they're selling, the people that were part of that CTE lawsuit are no longer under their Legends deal. So in 2021, when I called, Dad's Legends deal had expired and they were not renewing it. And they told me to own the trademark to Mr. Wonderful, and I actually found out they had let it lapse. So I purchased it um, for my own use just because I wanted to own it. Um, and it's not as expensive as people think. You just got to pay the lawyer and about a couple hundred dollars. And um, so, so I, I, I am in the process. I don't know if it's been finalized yet because I'm obviously dealing with Kevin O'Leary, who also wants Mr. Wonderful um, as, as, as his trademark. Um, but they do extend if they continue the Legends deal. Um, unfortunately, with my dad, um, uh, again, my opinion being that they – chose not to renew it because of the lawsuit. And the reason I believe that is I was, I know they just came up with a, a retro WWF ring and on the box, somebody, in fact, it, it was pure coincidence, um, but also fortuitous. Um, it was yesterday or last Tuesday, I got a, um, I got a text message with an image of the retro ring. And the figures on the wrestler uh, in the retro ring is Cowboy Bob Orton, Roddy Piper, and Mr. T, Hulk Hogan. There's no Jimmy Snooker, and he was part of the lawsuit. And then the guy they have that's facing Hogan um, has blonde hair. He's kind of blocked. He's not at the forefront where you can tell that it's not my dad, but it's Big John Studd. And you can see the facial hair on the figure, but it's just enough that if you didn't pay attention, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think it was incorrect. But my dad's not on that WWF retro ring, for, and they have all of the people from WrestleMania 1. And, you know, when I initially saw it, my, it was a little bit of a gut punch. I was disappointed. You know, I'm proud of my father. That's something that he was a part of. And their decision to not use them is, is um, you know, was disheartening. And at the same time, you know, 15 minutes after I saw that, I, you know, had the perspective that Travis, the legacy that you are building and, and continuing through the social media pages and the posts and, the, and my interactions with people that have seen the, seen the side of my father, I really wanted them to know and understand that he was a tender-hearted, wonderful human being. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the truth, but, you know, he was an amazing father, a better father than he ever was a wrestler. Um, he was compassionate. You know, you didn't, you didn't mess with the military and you didn't mess with anybody that had a learning disability. Dad would find that highly offensive. Um, you didn't hurt a woman. Dad would find that highly offensive and you know, there there wasn't any promises that you were going to make it out of that situation if, if those people um, weren't respected and, and taken care of. And so at the end of the day, it was just a box, and maybe only a few people noticed that it's not right. Um, but the, the fans that follow us, I think we have right around 50,000 followers between all of our sites, and they continue to grow slowly. They're seeing the side of the family and, and the side of my father that um, they would have never seen on a box or on a toy. And uh, I'm way more proud of that than any box that, that he's left out on. And, you know, again, Vince uh, is a vindictive person. And if you, you know, don't, you know, you hear the term protect the business, you know, uh, you were cut off. Now, ironically, and, and this is where the fortuitous part came, it wasn't but about two hours later that all the allegations came out about Vince, and it really put in perspective, you know, what that world was like. You know, for me, it was just a box, but for that woman um, and so many other women before them, it was, it was torture. It was hell. Um, those women um, were at the bidding of a billionaire, um, it never starts out with abuse. It starts out with 
um, you know, promises and jobs and money and flowers and gifts, and then slowly but surely, um, you know, you, you now are down deeper in a hole and things are expected from you you never intended and you're younger and, and you, you know, you see a career and you, you know, you might take that, you know, that little inch towards something and before you know it, you're so deep in, you don't, you, you don't know how you get there. It's like an alcoholic. An alcoholic never plans or a drug addict never plans on being homeless when they take their first drink or do their first drug. It happens over time. And, and so, you know, all of those loyalties, all of those things, we're not part of. The little bit of money that we make off of uh, the, the T-shirts we have on Legends House and Pro Wrestling Tees, um, you know, it's very, very minimal um, based on the sales we have, but um, that money's donated. You know, I, I volunteer sometimes with, um, with a group um, named HopeLink, and, um, and they assist um, people that are going through addiction or are homeless or dealing with mental health. And, and they help them get into facilities, and, and actually, it's a nonprofit, but they actually will help financially uh, help these people get into these facilities. And so, you know, all of the royalties and money, they go towards, you know, uh, different ventures like that. that is, that's the one I've been donating to as of recently, and prior to that, it, that money was given, if not my own money, was given to some of the needs of other wrestlers, you know, such as Virgil. We did a GoFundMe, or Sean did a GoFundMe that, you know, didn't make any traction, and when we posted it, we were very fortunate to see that the fan base that we had built, you know, the, I think the goal was 3,000 with a, with, a, with a max goal of 1,000, and, in, in, and after seven days, there wasn't a, a single penny, and then after we posted it, within a few days, there was over $3,700. And so for me knowing that the legacy we built and the people that follow us have that kind of generosity in their heart, that means more to me than any royalty ever will. One of the things that still happens to this day on occasion, and I'm sure it was more prevalent in the 70s and the 80s, but uh, people just weren't necessarily aware of it as much is the occasional locker room fight I know it probably didn't happen that frequently but when you were on the road with your dad was there ever an occasion where you witnessed an actual locker room fight not not ever and, and you know those beefs happened more um, in territories than it did at, you know, you were under contract with Vince, and, you know, or even at WCW, you were under contract with Ted Turner. It wasn't Eric, it was Ted Turner. And so there was, you know, by the time the 90s came, you know, there was HR guidelines and you would be liable. You know, those, those, those fights in the 80s and 90s would have been prosecuted. They, they weren't in the early 80s. Um, and, and certainly not in the 70s and 60s. So I was never present for um, anything like that. Um, Dad told me about them, and, and, and he had been part of a couple, uh, you know, that most people already know about. But the ones that happened that really were tragic, you know, there were those happened in the territories. That was a that world in the territories with you know the promoters of that time. It was so cutthroat. I remember, I remember Dad telling me, you know, he didn't know from week to week if he was wrestling. Sometimes because the promoters would, you know, they were they were shady. They didn't always pay, and you know, so he went through those periods and times where, you know, he wrestled and, and, and didn't get paid. And so a lot of those fights came over money or over, um, you know, politics in the sense that. You know, somebody was going to get the title and get paid more, or somebody didn't pay their part of the bill, or, you know, there was just these individual beasts. And, and, and within that, you know, those guys were on the road a ton. And so there was a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, they weren't doing any drug testing in the territories and things of that nature. And it wasn't uncommon for a wrestler to go out there and be drunk or high in the ring. Um, Dad had told me that was one of the ways he got hurt, was one of the wrestlers was, was, uh, was, um, inebriated when he wrestled him, and, and because of one of the spots that 
that's how he got hurt. Now, I don't know if that's factually true. I, I think it's hard. I think he might have, you know, he could have injured it that way, but, you know, to pinpoint it to that specific moment without going to a doctor immediately afterwards, it, it's hard to know how much damage was done. But um, he believed it, and I, I tend to believe him. I just don't ever want to make an accusation that I, don't, I can't factually prove. But, you know, those things happen more in the territories. In fact, to be honest with you, there was more damage done to my dad, from my knowledge, by some of the fans. It wasn't just the wrestlers. And when I was 21, dad never had any alcohol around the house. He might have had a, a glass of wine and one beer in my presence in the first 21 years of my life. Like, I really cannot recall him ever drinking alcohol. And he took care of his body and ate right, like, everywhere we went. Um, we weren't allowed to have salt and butter on the table when I was a kid. So, uh, But I remember when I was 21, I wanted him to go out and have a beer with me because obviously I could legally drink. And at that point, I didn't know that, that I was going to, um, you know, end up, you know, I, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, um, you know, I at that point didn't know the, that I was headed down that path, but, you know, I, I remember going to have a beer with my dad, and I don't know why it kind of came to me, probably because I had a few in me, but I, I finally looked at him and started asking him about his scars um, that he had on his forehead in different places, and it was so funny because it, it was one of the first times I'd ever asked. I knew about times that he was in a ring and, you know, like a dart was thrown into the ring and, like, barely missed his foot, right? But... Two of the scars on his head that were the most prominent were from these, like, old ladies in Louisiana and Shreveport that hit him over her head with a beer bottle when he was leaving the ring. You know, it didn't come from this, you know, some crazy bar fight. It was from some old lady that was mad because he was a bad guy. Those old ladies hurt a lot of wrestlers over the years for sure. Well, there's one story. Dad was, and this wasn't uncommon. Dad got attacked. I can remember we were in, I never remember the town we were in because I think it happened to both, whether it was in Boston or Philadelphia, but we had gotten into an ambulance and, and were taken down the street because Dad had so much heat at the time when he was wrestling with Hogan. And we got down the street and they got us to our car and the fans were tipped off and they, Dad put me in the floorboard of the car because the fans were trying to tip the car over. And the police had to come and, you know, like, you know, push him off the car so we could get out of town. And, you know, the fans were, you know, the guys, at least from my experience, um, the guys were, were either very isolated or they kind of stuck to a clique or, you know, a small group. Um, and, and Dan was, was kind of a, you know, a loner in many ways. Now, he might have been different when I wasn't around, but. You know, I never saw him sitting there playing. In fact, you know, when I was young, the first time I ever played poker was with wrestlers, you know. It, so, it, you know, there was more card games going on than there was anything else. And most people that had gotten to New York at this point were, were, had, had earned it and had gone through that. And the, la and the last thing they wanted to do was ruin it. Now, looking at your dad's body of work, which encompasses a lot, I know. Uh, he was active for many years and then became a backstage agent and helped with training. Then he had a little bit of a resurgence in the late 90s. What do you think is ultimately the legacy of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in the professional wrestling industry? In my opinion, it, it, it honestly doesn't matter. And, but what I will share is what I've heard from other people. And what I hear from fans is meeting him was one of the greatest honors of their life. And they were so surprised how grateful and thankful he was that they were his fans. And there's a story that, you know, again, I've been very fortunate because we did the legacy pages, and I, you know, obviously was the kind of the, the spark behind that because I was sharing, I was sharing him with the world once again, that I, like I had done when I was a kid. 
but just from a different side. Um, you know, I got to get these stories from different fans that, I mean, they would they would bring me to tears. And I remember one of them was, he was a heel and he was coming out of the, the back of, you know, one of the places, one of the, one of the matches in New York. And these two kids had tried to get everybody's autograph and they happened to be out there because they couldn't get into the show. And they ran up to ask my dad for his autograph. And dad said, no, I'll take you to get a piece of pizza. And he took these kids down to a place and bought them a pizza and sat there and told them and gave them workout suggestions, told them to respect their parents. And obviously he eventually did sign something for them. But there was these moments of his humanity that fans that interacted with him were so surprised um, how kind, loving, grateful, humble he truly was. And, you know, I hated the fans growing up, and I, I didn't know that. Like, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but I certainly had a level of impatience. And when, when Dad passed and we started the legacy pages, you know, family gets back to business, and, and work gets back to business. And, you know, I was dying, suffering, deep depression. And it was the fans that got me out of it. And it wasn't till then that I had the perspective that if not for those fans, I wouldn't have had the childhood I would have had. I wouldn't have had the private schools. I wouldn't have had the opportunities. And so for it to come full circle that I'm so appreciative of the fans that love my father. And I think it's funny because people tell me how much they loved him and how much they did for him, but the fans will never know what they did for me. I mean, I can say it, and I can tell you. I can name O'Neill Walker, who was a pastor out of Canada, and Deca Butler, who was an artist and a, a writer out of New York, and, you know, on and on. Mark Biddle, who I did his podcast. Um, Tyler Ellenick, who obviously is the, uh, you know, I, I call him the ambassador of our social media pages. He, he's the genius behind him, and I just do the commentary and, and interactions. Um, you know, it was the fans that helped me celebrate his legacy as a man, as a father, and, and, and as an icon to many, many, many people. And, you know, from the wrestler's point of view, you know, it's very common for – in fact, I've only ever heard one story that Dad – um, was kind of harsh with somebody. I'm not saying he wasn't harsh with several, but I've only ever heard one. And uh, it was a wrestler that decided to leave WCW, and I, I don't remember where he ended up going, but he turned down a contract, and Dad thought it was a mistake. So it wasn't like he was horrible, but you know, it wasn't great interaction. But I've heard on Anderson say, Paul Orndorff gave me the best advice I ever got. And Steve Austin said, Paul Orndorff gave me the best advice I ever got. You know, so to the boys, he was, you know, I hear he was a hell of a worker. You know, that, that's kind of the, the common phrase. He helped me so much. I, can, I can't tell you how many um, wrestlers that Dad met out when he was out doing different things that are now in WWE and different, different wrestling promotions, and Dad would pull them aside and give them advice. And so um, he was, he was, you know, he was kind, he was gentle, he was generous. He was generous with his time. He was generous with his knowledge. He was wise, you know. Um, and so for me, his legacy is, is, is already built into the DNA of all of the folks that, that follow him and see him, and they admire his work ethic and his body because that was a body that didn't exist, you know, at, at that time. And he was, for many, many, many thousands of people, the reason they got into working out. And, and, and many of them are bigger than my dad is, you know, than, than he was back then. Um, so to encompass all that in a sentence, I, I don't know that I have the answer. But um, if I were to give one, I would say anybody that ever interacted with him knew he was passionate, he was intense whether he was in the ring or whether he was spending one-on-one -on -one time with you, he was loving. And, and you knew you were – you knew in that moment 
because people tell me I was friends with your dad, and I'm like, I know my dad. I don't want to offend anybody. My dad didn't have a ton of friends. Like, not that he didn't like a lot of people, but he, you just felt like you were his friend if you interacted with him because he respected and treated you that way. And there, there wasn't anybody that was closer to him than me. You know, my, my nieces and my nephews were very close and spent a lot of time, but they don't know the sides and they don't know the, some of the intimate stories and some of the, they didn't get to hear the, some of the life lessons that I got. And, and so that legacy that, that carries forward is um, if you knew him, you knew he unconditionally loved you. And I, I thought sometimes that it was just me that saw that side. And, and, you know, now that we've had this social media uh, and I see the outpouring of love from his fans, I now realize he shared it with everybody. We're down to the last few minutes of the show today, and I want to make sure there's ample time for you if you have anything you would like to say in closing. And if you want to plug and promote absolutely anything, the social medias, merchandise, your favorite dry cleaner, anything in the world that you want, floor is yours. You know, I, I, I don't have a lot to say. I think what I would share is how grateful I am to have the platform and the opportunity I have to share. You know, the, the thing I hated about my childhood is the thing that I've loved about being an adult is I get to share my father with the world. And... He was, he was so meaningful and so loving to so many people that I'm just truly grateful that I got to be his son. So if you want to follow us on, you know, our different social media pages, you know, Facebook is Paul Orndorff. You know, I have a small podcast we're relaunching this year called Some Kind of Wonderful where I interview wrestlers' kids, not so much from the wrestling side, but more, you know, some of the intimate things that we went through that, I think that we relate about and can can understand about each other. Um, you know, we have uh, Mr. Wonderful on, on, on Instagram. You know, if, if I, I'm not worried about if you catch our YouTube page or any of that. Uh, I, I'm just grateful that you allow me to share my father with you. Well, Travis Ornorf, this has definitely been a wonderful experience, and I appreciate you taking time to be with us. Your father was an absolute legend, loved by a lot of fans, and I'm sure you're very, very proud to be his son. And hopefully we'll get to have you back here again sometime. We'll talk some more, Mr. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, anybody listening, I love you, thank you, and God bless. Fans, I know everyone to this is familiar with Mr. Wonderful Paul Lorndorf. How could you not be if you listen to this program? But definitely go buy some of the merchandise. If you have a few dollars, look up some Mr. Wonderful videos on the YouTubes and Daily Motion, what have you. We will be back with you Sunday afternoon. We have Atlas Hightower, great young wrestler out of the Midwest. And then one week from this very day, we have the daughter of Sergeant Slaughter, Kelly Slaughter, with us. We're looking forward to that. Everybody stay safe out there. Get out there and support your local independents. And we will talk to you soon. Ah!